The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today's scripture reading is from Luke 2, 8 through verse 20. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will bring for all the people. For unto you is a child, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lining in a manger. And suddenly there were, an, there were with an angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those who he is pleased. When the angels went away from the, into the heavens, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see the things that he has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with the haste and found Mary and Joseph and, and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying they had been told concerning the child. All who hear is wondering all the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering with them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. And as it's been told to them, this is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning to you. Uh, My name is Stacy Croft. If I haven't met you, I'm the lead pastor here for our location, Christ Presbyterian Church in Music Row. And uh, if you're visiting and it's your first time, you're coming on a sweet uh, morning, um, sweet morning seeing our children. It's easy, though, I think, and I was praying this with our, when we, we all always gather up before the service uh, next door and kind of walk through it. And I was really praying for our team, and this is my prayer for you, uh, is that it would be easy to watch our kids, and you're going to see some, uh, and it is like uber cuteness, but like to have them a part of the service, uh, but to miss the fact that uh, it's not just the cuteness, they're actually trying to communicate something to us. Something that's really powerful and that they don't want us to miss. You know, it's like those moments when um, maybe whether you do have or don't have children, or you've, you've encountered this around people or seen it on TV or have a, a nephew or a niece or someone who's tugging on you. Hey, 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 trying to get your attention, you know, over and over. And you're like, hold on, hold on. Hey, hey. They're trying to get our attention about something. Uh, when Charles Dickens wrote his, um, his classic, A Christmas Carol, it was really uh, back in the... Uh, uh, mid to late 19th century, and he was really trying to set the tone of something. Um, I don't know if you've, you've probably seen a form of a Christmas carol. It is where someone who's a miser or somebody who just doesn't have the Christmas spirit, and um, they're sent three ghosts, messages, whatever it is in the story. They've made cartoons of it. They've done everything with it. Um, to try and evoke again this spirit in uh, what would be the Scrooge character, the person who's the miser. And if you read the history of, of Dickens' writing on this, he really was looking back to his own childhood. He was trying to think what, what connects to the oppression and depression that was around him in the 1840s, but also how do I, how do I connect again to that, that childlike spirit? That, that really connects to Christmas, that, that warm, exciting, wake-up Christmas morning, and, 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 and everything's there, and you just feel that elation again. How do I connect to that again? And, you know, he finishes a Christmas carol saying this. He says, 
I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past, the present, and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. But you know, what I think our our kids are trying to communicate to us this morning is something a little different. Uh, They're actually, instead of us trying to connect, which, you know, we ask the question, what is the Christmas spirit? I don't know if you've looked that up. Uh, (laughs) It's actually an interesting thing discussed and described. But they're trying to convey a different message to us. The Scientific American even puts it this way, that there is such thing as the Christmas spirit that's laid out. And one of them is trying to to reach back and reclaim something. Another thing is trying to find a light in a dark year. But, But all of it is pushing the fact that, hey, we need to reconnect to our childhood. What Christmas is about, what our kids are trying to tell us this morning is it's not about connecting to your childlike spirit. It's about the child who came to you. That's the simple message of Christmas. That's the uniform difference of Christmas than anything else. It's not us trying to recapture something. Actually, we honor it every year because we need to be reminded that this child came to us to capture us. It's about a child that connects to us, not us trying to reconnect to us and our childlike faith. And this story is one that we hear all the time. You know, one of my favorite old classics is Charlie Brown Christmas and you know, they throw blankets on and dress up like shepherds. And, you know, like you, we do that all the time. But this is a real amazing event where people were at their jobs working. Like these shepherds were not, this isn't like they were teed up for worship. They were out in a field doing their job. And God comes to them. They say, let me show you what this is all about. Let me show you who I really am. Luke, who wrote this, by the way, was a doctor, and he was an interviewer. And you read these, these little bitty things in here, like they went with haste, or Mary treasured it up in, their, in her heart and pondered it. You read these details because this isn't written like some sweet sentimental story. It's actually written as an interviewer, which is what Luke actually did. He interviewed all these people. And he said, tell me about that night. Tell me what it was like. Tell me what this is about. So that we could hear the message of Christmas in all of its totality and reality. And what it brings for us this morning, what this passage says, the Christmas story is full of a few things. But it's full of fear. It's actually something that we might not think of. It's full of fear. It's full of glory. And it's full of wonder. Fear, glory, and wonder. You know, I find it interesting that every Christmas uh, narrative account in the Gospels, I don't know if you've noticed this, it begins with fear not. (laughs) It begins with an angel appearing to Mary, to others, to the shepherds, and it begins with a fear not, don't be afraid. And I think there's something huge for us to learn there. Why would all of these accounts, you know, capture this fact that this angel draws out and evokes this massive fear in them? Because we're full of fear. It trickles all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible when when man actually decided, you know, God isn't really trustworthy. I'm going to listen to uh, Satan, the serpent in the garden, which if you trickle back all the way to Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible, it says, hey, man and woman said, we can't really trust God. What, What he tells us about this tree and obeying him and life with him and our relationship, he's not good enough because the serpent said he's not good enough. The Satan said that. So the deceiver tells us, so from that point on, we have been 
in fear, trusting God, everyone else, perceiving that. I mean, you can even see it here. It's amazing in, in verse 14 that you get to hear the proclamation of the, the angel's song. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom He is pleased. Those words in and of themselves, those whom He is pleased, isn't that what we long for and yet we're deathly afraid of? They were when an angel came to them and, and had to calm them from, hey, hey, this is good news. We're pleased. God is pleased. I think that, that strikes at the deepest part of us. You know those moments when you receive an email or a voicemail or something from someone that maybe you've had a struggle with in a relationship or maybe it's a boss or maybe it's something else and before you open it and listen to it, you have that just that moment, that catch in you of like, what am I about to hear? A little bit of anxiety, a little bit of, ooh, is this going to be bad or good? You don't really know. The angels in this, I mean, the shepherds in this moment are receiving a message from the angels and for them to be in that moment and hear some message, they needed to be assured that this was not a damaging message to them. Because in our nature is we can't trust. And if anybody who's not pleased with us, God isn't pleased with us. If anybody who's upset with us about how we are, we come into a church and we think, gosh, how would God be actually pleased with me? You know, we work in all of our world and to make sure everybody's pleased with us. And we, we call it, you know, people pleasers. Look, we're all people pleasers. Some of us are really good at hiding it. But we're all seeking to have affirmation. We're all seeking to be pleased. This is why I mentioned this a, a couple weeks ago as an illustration. It's so true. It just continues to ring in my mind that one of the most powerful psychological building things for a, a young child is when a coach or someone older or a parent looks at them after they've accomplished something and says, I'm just so, I just so enjoyed watching you do this. I'm so proud of you. Those, mo- those small moments of building that up. is deep within us. We don't know if, if we're ever going to have pleasure. More or less from a divine being. No wonder they were afraid. No wonder they felt this. And here's what's beautiful, that when the angels in verse 10, when they were filled with great fear, the angels said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The word actual behold is not just behold, like, you know, we hear of it just very formally as if someone walked in, behold. But actually what it means is perceive, look into, take up. Hold firmly. It's saying, fear not, hold firmly this good news to perceive, to look into it again. Christmas proves that the songs that we sing are not just ones that we've been passed down. they're, They're carrying forth a message to us to say, in our deepest heart of hearts, we need good news to reach to the depths of where we don't feel like we have the pleasure of God, more or less anyone else. That the fear that's being addressed here, and here's what's powerful. When he says, I bring you good news, what is the good news? For unto you this, yeah, unto you, verse 11, <clears throat> is born this day in the city of, uh, da- city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. 
you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. See, here's the distinction of, Christ, of Christianity and Christmas is, is the fact that the sign itself isn't just this warm thing. It's not the angels. It's the baby. It's them going from their jobs, being interrupted in the middle of watching the flocks as they normally would do to go see the sign, which is Jesus himself. It's the incarnation. We're singing about something that is absolutely profound. We're here lighting candles and hearing our children discuss what is so profound to us and so deeply ingrained that the only way our fears could be addressed is if God himself took them on in our very flesh. It, it, it says it, it, it's to know that God himself comes into our fears. He becomes breakable. It's a baby. The sign is Jesus himself. I love how C.S. Lewis said it about the incarnation. He said, in the incarnation, God the Son takes the body and human soul of Jesus and through that, the whole environment of nature and all the creaturely predicament into his own being so that he that came down from heaven can almost be transposed into heaven drew earth up into it. And his locality, his limitation, his sleep, his sweat, his footsore weariness, his frustration, pain, doubt, and death are from before all worlds known by God from within. It's not just that, that Jesus comes to us. He's drawing up into himself all of us, all of our fears, all of that which we don't think we have the pleasure of. He experiences so that they can actually hear the words, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. That the actual very pleasure of God is ours because we have the sign. It's not just, I like you, you're great. It doesn't stick enough. It sticks because in the sign, in the sun, in the flesh, he draws up every fear of yours and provides you the sign and fleshly symbol and tangible evidence that you have the very pleasure of God sent to you. You don't have to reconnect to some spirit way back to try and allay your fears. We can't enough. We have a God who takes up every one of your fears. Whatever, what is your fear? We, look, we live in, especially this time of year, is, has so many cultural expectations on it. I was listening to one of my friends and favorite uh, preachers just the other day. His name's Brian Habig, if you know him. He was a pastor here in town at one point. He was discussing this and describing this too, and, and it, it said it so beautifully. But the cultural expectations that we have of how we are supposed to have our homes look a certain way, you know? The way we may decorate, the way we, and yes, it looks beautiful. You know, though, the feeling of after Christmas and you take everything down and you see the spaces where everything was and you think, how did I have room for that? Or the things where you feel like the gifts that you have to go get and there's this pressure, this expectation of a gift that meets just that right person or am I doing it, am I getting it? On? And whether it be online or not, you have about 1,000 Amazon boxes at your doorstep. Or how about just the biggest one of all, the cultural expectations of how we're supposed to feel towards our family and friends when all we feel is fear of what's next. What's it gonna be like to be at Christmas time? 
This God took it all up into himself. He drew it up into himself so that you may know that there is actually one and the divine one has pleasure on you because that's the glory. The fear is taken up in the glory. There's something that's happening in this scene that I think can be really lost. It's the connection actually between heaven and earth. You know, why is Christmas so different than anything else? Why is this birth so different than anything else? Lee Eric Fesco, who's a, a pastor on staff at our church, uh, came. We had Advent services this week, and, and one of the things, the questions he asked was that. I thought it was a very good question. Why, why do we celebrate this birth? Like, why is this birth so valuable? So many other religious leaders have been born. What makes this different than any other religious leader? What, why? And it's given to us here in this moment that it says, in, um, in verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. There's this glory, this word that, that we know, and, but sometimes we may have a hard time describing. It's when you're in the presence of someone or something that just emanates and, and you're taking it up. It's like seeing an incredible sunset. Or being around someone that you've, you, you know, maybe at a concert or someone in town that, uh, that, that, that could be famous. You know, there is that very Nashville way of seeing people who are uh, of notoriety and in, in, that on the outside you're, you're kind of like acting like nothing's going on. On the inside you're just, just freaking out and you want to get signatures and phone calls, you know. Can I have your number? Can we hang out? You know, we can't do that. But, but what glory is is that essence and, and it harkens back to the, to the Old Testament where in the Old Testament they had a place of meeting God. And then they met God, it was a place called the tabernacle. They actually made a tent in which God would meet his people. This is all the way back in a book called Exodus. And God said, create this tent, make this beautiful tent, all these colors, rich fabrics, and they would carry it from place to place. And I will meet in the holiest place of holies, the, the place, the only place where one person, the priest, could meet me here, and you will know, but you will see my presence. There'll be a cloud, there'll be a fire. You'll see, you'll know that I'm there with the priest, and that means I'm with you. And in this moment, what's happening is to remind these shepherds and, and to show that God's court is coming. You would think, and I love how the um, Jesus Storybook Bible describes it. I don't know about you. You should get this book. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible, written by Sally Lloyd-Jones. She describes it as this. She says, <clears throat> if you were, no, uh, uh, now would you, where would you send your splendid choir? To a big concert hall, maybe? Or a palace? God sent his to a little hillside outside of a little town, in the middle of the night to a ragtag bunch of shepherds. He sends this choir. He sends this glory. He sends actually his presence. The court of heaven is coming to a field and inviting a bunch of shepherds to it. And again, you know, we've talked about shepherds. You, know, you may think of things like wearing cute little, you know, uh, things on their head and, and a staff. But as, again, Sally Lloyd-Jones describes in the Jesus Storybook Bible, she says, in those days, remember, people used to laugh at shepherds 
and say they were smelly and call them other rude names, which I can't possibly mention here. You see, people thought shepherds were nobodies, just scruffy old riffraff, and they were. In fact, they were so um, gross in some, in some sense that the fact that in some places in the Bible when Lord, the Lord is considered a shepherd, some parts of Judaism thought that is abhorrent. Why would you ever call God a shepherd? They were untrustworthy. They were constantly being hired out. They were peasants. They had no money. They were dirty. And even more so, they were spiritually unclean. They were, in fact, the ones who were preparing the animals for sacrifice that everyone else would be able to use in order to meet with God. And guess what God does? He brings the court of heaven to them. The holy meets the unholy. The, the, the infinite meets the finite. The, 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 the eternal meets the temporal. And it, that is what we want in church. Look, glory is when we hope to come to church, and especially this time of year in Christmas, we're hoping to feel something. We're supposed to encounter something that's bigger than ourselves. And that what the, the Christmas spirit is supposed to do is to evoke in us something that, that makes us reach out and care for someone else. But that, that spirit goes away pretty quick. If it's just us trying to connect with something rather than knowing that how God connects to us, then it it does die down quickly because it becomes an emotion. It becomes something that we hope to brush against. But what God is doing is saying, I'm going to deliver something that is out of the ordinary and bring it to the lowliest of lowly, the shepherds. Imagine if in our city amazing city that it is with all the concerts and music and people that come through here and and live here that unannounced a bus was loaded with some of the just top three to five musicians we would consider in our city their bands their trailers their it's all hitched up and they're going to find a spot and they drive down to tent city they don't go to Ascent. <clears throat> they don't go to Bridgestone. There's no announcement. There's no cover. And you know how it is. You know when you go to a place like you're, you're sitting in like, you know, a, 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 a small place that may be dawned in the past, like Exit Inn or, or uh, Station Inn or one of those of, of greatness, and then somebody just pops in and does, plays a set and leaves, and you feel like you just received something amazing. Imagine if the bus was loaded, but it went to Tent City. They unpacked all their gear, they set up the stage, and they put on a concert unbeknownst to anyone else for those who would never be able to pay, for those who would never be able to enter into some of those and only stand outside and ask for money from us in order to be there. That's what's happening in this passage. The God of heaven is bridging the gap. He's doing what we long to do at Christmas when we all come to church around this time because we're we're hoping to connect to something larger, some hope. But the hope is this, is that the sign is the child. It is in God. It is in Jesus. It's that He took on flesh. The only way that 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 gap is breached, that breach is, 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 is brought together is if the holy meets the unholy through some sort of sacrifice, it is through this one. It's through Jesus. 
Hark the herald angels sing. What are we singing when we sing that? We're singing that God is reconciled, right? Through this birth, come to taste our sadness. Come to bring us in, right? The unholy meets the holy. This is where we have hope. This is where the glory and fear come together. It's that this amazing God who would, we would think would keep us at an arm's length does nothing but bring the lowliest of lowly in. And if he could do, do, does that in shepherds, do we value the good news for us? It's not about us connecting to a, a childlike spirit. It's about the child that connects to us through our fear, who comes to bridge the gap between you actually coming to God and knowing that it's okay and you have his full weight and pleasure because his whole life is determined as what pattern? He is the tabernacle. Do you see? You see what's happening is the tabernacle that God centuries, millennia ago purposed a tent to meet his people in and for others outside of it, to try and see that his presence was there so that when we sing songs like Emmanuel, even us who are not Jews by birth hear of a tabernacle and go, wait, God set that up? So that we know that God meets us in a whole different place. He doesn't meet us in a place anymore. He meets us in a person. And what happens to these shepherds is fantastic. When the angels went away, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph. They ran. The word haste, why, why does Luke include that language? So we know that he's, they, they're taking off. And when they share this message with everybody, it leaves everybody in wonder. I can't believe it. Even Mary hears the message and ponders it up in her heart. She treasured it. The word treasure in that language means savor. It means like you're savoring an incredible meal. It, it's savoring it, tasting it. When we come to this table, here's what's happening that's amazing. It is a table where fear and glory meet. Our fears, all that we are, meets with the glory of heaven. And we have to come to this table and wonder. That's all we can bring. And we wonder at this fact that here's, here's what's so incredible. The shepherds, the very ones who could not come to God because they were providing sacrifice for everyone else, the sacrifice comes to them in the child, in the person, the unclean, those who are filthy, unable to come to anything like this, are only made clean because the child connects himself to them. He is the sacrifice. We are brought up into the presence of God because of this. I love what Frederick Buechner said about this. Listen, he said, this, this theologian, he said, once they had seen him in the stable, they can never be sure where he's going to appear 
or what to, to what lengths he will go, or to what ludicrous depths of self-humiliation he will descend in his wild pursuit of man. What depths does he go? You have it right here. You get to taste Christmas. You get to taste and see and wonder again, and not, not in a silly way, but in a beautiful way that all of our kids are trying to, trying to communicate to us that this child is yours. He makes himself yours. And so just like Mary, we can savor it. We can taste it and know that our God is good and that he loves you.